Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com, movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley, and I'm super excited for this week's show. We're going to get very, very romantic, because I'm joined by TV's Rob DiCristino to talk about Wild at Heart. Hi, Rob. Patrick, this podcast is a symbol of my individuality and my belief in personal freedom. <laughs> Here I thought you were going to quote some wicked game lyrics, but you did. <laughs> that was next on the list. You went a much better direction because I love every time he talks about his jacket. Who of of the two of us, who would look better in a snakeskin jacket? The answer I think is you. No, the answer <laughs> no. is you. <laughs> you would look better in anything. Oh, this is well it. established. You're beautiful. You're a beautiful uh, man, Patrick. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, what if how we are just you, both got them? Let's just both get them. I like it. All right. No, I'm doing um, well. I'm doing well. I don't have a snakeskin jacket, but I'm doing well. Yet. Yet. The real question is which one of us would look better dressed as Lula? <laughs> And the answer is Adam Risky. The answer is Adam Risky. <laughs> uh, hey, Rob, have you seen anything good lately? I've seen movies. I've seen you, them. Yay! They make them. I like movies. Them. Well, they used to make them. They, well, they used to have kind of stopped right making them. but They're not making them right now. No. Which we're, we're with. Solidarity. But Oh, um, absolutely. 100%. All right. So I was catching up on some stuff. Um, I, I caught up on smile from last year. Perfect Remember smile. Yeah. I barely. It's a what, movie. It is a movie. What did you think of smile smile? I, 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 I did not love it. Um, I, I was, I was really gunning for it or I should say, excuse me. I was really rooting for it. Not gunning for it. That's <laughs> the opposite. Um, because it was a movie that my students would not shut up about last year. Mm -hmm. It was like the one, you know, how it's like every year, every two years, there's that one horror movie that like all high school kids go to see. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, I was looking forward to it and I, you know, I thought it, there was some cool makeup effects. I thought there was a couple cool moments of, of kind of gore and, and I don't know how much of it was CGI or how much of it was practical, but there was some cool stuff in there. Um, my one note on it is that ultimately it feels like a Lionsgate movie trying to be an A24 movie. <laughs> um, where if it had leaned into its schlockiness and hadn't yeah. tried to be prestige, it would have been a little bit more enjoyable. So it's you know, fine. Uh, uh, is it Sosie Bacon? Yeah. Is uh, I wrote, she's picking up where Kate Mara left off. She's kind of got the like sort of, you know, steely sort of frail kind of look to her um she's but she's fine in it and it's a totally fine movie i was not shocked to learn that it was a short film extended to right. feature length it has right. that energy to it um so you know not my favorite but yeah, you're fine a couple of nice moments in it i i feel like that was my exact reaction to smile um i i was much more excited about like the story of smile than i was actual smile where it was like oh they made this low budget movie they were going to send it directly to paramount plus and then somebody was like oh let's give it a shot in theaters and it ends up doing gangbusters business yeah. uh, and now this filmmaker has kind of a career and i'm excited for that like i'm glad people went to see a quote-unquote original horror movie I remember not loving it like you. I thought it had a couple of good moments. I took issue with where it lands because I think too many horror movies the cop out. do that where it's like, yeah. well, there's only one way out of this. And I, yeah. uh, I just saw another movie that did that. 
I mean, I I thought Talk to Me kind of did that. I still haven't bit. seen Talk to Me, yeah, so that's not, not it. Yeah, not as elegantly, but yeah, um, it is. You'll be excited to learn being included in Paramount's first ever. What the hell are they calling it? Paramount Scares. They're like establishing their own boutique horror line. Oh, so they're putting out a five movie box set in 4k pet cemetery smile rosemary's baby crawl and a fifth mystery movie all in 4k for like 110 dollars. so i will is, not be buying it is it a mystery movie are there multiples or is it just one mystery movie for the entire collection that everyone like the, okay yeah everybody so day one we will know what the mystery we will know movie what is. the mystery movie is right correct yeah, yeah. The one thing I'll say about Smile, though, is I don't know if you remember this, but I just as a baseball person, I remember there was that sort of marketing campaign for oh, Smile yeah. where they paid the people to sit behind home plate and just like stare at the camera and smile. And that was incredibly unnerving. And that was pretty great. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty cool. I like yeah. that quite a bit. Yeah. And the um, moment but... that was in all the trailers where the girl's head like swings upside down, that's very effective. Yeah. There's some fun stuff in it. It's one of those calling card movies, I think, where it's like, I don't know yeah. much about this filmmaker's career, but I'm like, oh, this this guy can direct a movie. Definitely. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, for sure. So make another one. Absolutely. So we um, both love Smile is what we you're both, saying. What we're saying is we both love Smile. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, surprise, there's no sequel yet, honestly. Have they, have they even greenlit anything yet? I'm sure that I know it was only be. last year, but that yeah, has to happen right. with harm. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, Smile again. Smile. Big, big smile. You should smile more. You should, you should be prettier if you smile more. <laughs> uh, I also caught up with No Hard Feelings, finally. Uh, one oh, of yeah. the movies that I missed uh, missed screening for and, and was kind of eager to catch up on. And as everyone has basically who's seen it has said, it's 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 really great. Um, uh, Jennifer Lawrence is just... It's just so good to have her back. It's just so... She's a fucking movie star. She's amazing in the movie. The movie, to me, kind of loses steam in like the last act and kind of gets a little... You know, it, it it puts itself in a corner and I don't think it ever quite gets out of it, but I still thought it was really, really well done. Um, I, I like the way it kind of... It, it almost messes with your movie clock a little bit in terms of some of the things that happen later on in the story in, in a pleasant way. And I like, but I love the performances. Um, I, I texted you when I was watching it. Cause the, the, the moment when Natalie Morales tells her husband to go into the sea, I, I just, I, there's something about that. And it's not funny in context or out of context. If you haven't mm-hmm. seen the movie. You got to watch it. Cause she's yelling at her husband. Cause he's saying something and she just goes, go into the sea. Cause he's <laughs> surfing. And I just, I, I had to stop the movie and rewind it a couple times. Cause I just thought that was just that particular delivery was so funny. Um, <laughs> and, and she's great. I know her from like parks and rec and stuff. So I was familiar yeah. with her already, but she was so wonderful. And um, I got to see a uh, cousin, uh, even Moss Backrack. I don't know. Cousin. He, he plays Richie on, uh, yeah. on the bear talking about the bear again, another week in a row. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I saw him and I literally was like cousin, you know? Yeah. Um, like you do. Um, but, uh, no, it's just, it's, even if it's not maybe perfect all the way through, there's just so many great moments. And, and, and the one thing I think I said this to you, like, I so appreciated that Jennifer Lawrence looked relaxed in it. Yeah. She looked calm like calm like she knew she was in charge she knew the tone she knew the performance she knew she was doing so many of the roles that she had taken early on in her career 
it was either the the Hunger Games stuff or the X-Men stuff where she had to kind of stand there and look severe or, you know, she was in David O. Russell movies where she was playing women who were much older than her, you know, real age. So she had to kind of put on an air of maturity where this one, she's just like totally laid back. She's totally in there, confident in herself, obviously, with that beach scene, which was hilarious. Um, and just I just love the performance. I just thought it was really, really a great comedy performance. Yeah, she was easily my favorite thing about the movie, which I think I said on the summer show was one of my favorite movies of the summer, even though I wish it was funnier. Like for a comedy, I wanted to laugh more, Mm -hmm. but I was still enjoying myself all the time. Like even when I wasn't laughing, I still was like, this is pleasant. This is well acted. This is well written. It's weird in that the, the sort of MacGuffin, I don't know if they're trying to like make a commentary on our modern economic state or if they just needed to reverse engineer her need to do this thing. But it's like, it's like there's an extra step in there. Like she's got to agree to do this to get a car and she needs the car so she could be an Uber driver and she needs to be an Uber driver so she could save her house. So she can pay the taxes on her On the one hand, it's like, okay, you're making a commentary on gig economy or something like that. But I think maybe they just didn't want her to like go directly to we'll give you $5,000 to save your house because then she's a prostitute. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. That's what I mean when I say like later in the story, narratively, it kind of writes itself into weird corners where you're like, well, she has to do this because we said earlier. But like, as you're saying, it would have been simpler to do it the other way. And then also the idea that she's sort of trying to save her her town from you know, rich people yeah. coming in and yeah. property values and all that stuff, like you said, but then not to spoil the ending for you, but she makes a decision at the end of the movie where you're kind of like, well, wait, hold on, <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> but, but I understand where they're coming from and all yeah. that. But um, again, so like, you know, plot wise, I, to me, it, it lost me a little bit toward the end, but as you said, it's just, the performance is wonderful. It's, it's really funny. And I just, um, I hope people see it. I really, I was late to it, obviously. So I can't, I can't say, you know, everybody watch it cause it's great, but everybody watch it cause it's really, really good. <laughs> I think it's now available like for rent, right? Yeah, that's so why I, I rented it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, so yeah, you can you can go to any of the uh, you know digital services, or I don't. It might be at a Redbox. I don't know. I turn to you for these kinds of things. Not but, at a uh, Redbox yet. It's like a. I think it's like a seven dollar rental right now. On, okay. As of as of earlier this week, it was like a, I think I paid like seven bucks. Okay. Well worth totally it. Worth it. Yeah. Well worth it. Um, and then other than that, I'm just, you know, one of the reasons I'm sure we'll talk about this. Uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this show on this movie is I'm just all fucking back in Twin Peaks world. Baby. <laughs> I am. I've been watching Twin Peaks. I just started the return, uh, rewatching the return. I finished. I, I watched uh, Fire Walk with me uh, a couple. Well, I guess over the course of a couple nights, um, which is a movie that I just I understand everybody's objections to it. But when you when you pivot out of that thing, right, when you're in Twin Peaks world, there's nothing better. It's it's yeah. just it's just the most heartbreaking, wonderful thing in the world. And um, so I'm all dug in Twin Peaks like a tick right now. And I, <laughs> yeah, I just I just started watching the return. And um, that's 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 really where I'm at. So that's been all my other watching time. And Twin Peaks is just it's just a warm blanket. It's just wonderful. I just even the even the bad second season, everybody, even the bad second season, which is bad. <laughs> it's not great, but I maintain that it's 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 looked at more unfavorably one because we know that Lynch and Frost were not really involved with it. 
and two, because it veers away from Laura Palmer, and then Lynch brings it back to Laura, Laura Palmer in the end. So Twin Peaks becomes the Laura Palmer story, which it really only happened because they made him solve the murder early. Right, right. And 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 the you know the idea is that basically narratively that show doesn't go where Lynch really wanted it to, and he was kind of trying to save it by bringing it back to that, but. The original intention, so he says, was sort of to use the Laura Palmer murder to introduce the characters and then let them get into this soap opera thing. So if Twin Peaks had gone on four seasons and we had long forgotten about Laura Palmer, I don't think that rough patch of seven or eight episodes in the second season would be remembered as poorly as it ended up being. Um, And then the last episode of the second season, Twin Peaks, is still just, it's just one of my favorite things that David Lynch has ever made. And we're going to talk about, um, I I think that Wild at Heart really feels so much of a piece with Twin Peaks. This is, you can really tell that this was his, like, this was the time period. This was the headspace that Lynch was in, in the late 80s, early 90s. These kind of, you know, sort of American myths, and we'll talk about it. But um, that's why I wanted to do Wild at Heart, because it was a Lynch that we hadn't talked about yet. Right. I'm all, I'm all in Lynch world. I'm glad that you have rewatched it and can kind of speak to the connections between Wild at Heart and Twin Peaks because I've not rewatched Twin Peaks in a while. I don't mind the second season for the same reason that, like, I don't think there's any such thing as bad Star Trek, even though I know there's right. bad Star Trek, but it's just like, I'm happy watching Star Trek. So I'm happy watching Twin Peaks, even when it's not the best Twin Peaks. It's like, right. I like being in this world. I like being with these characters. I like the look of the show. Like you said, it's a it's a comfort blanket, and so even the second season doesn't phase me as much. Do you do you like OG Twin Peaks or the Return better? I mean, it's it's to me, it's like chocolate and peanut butter. It's 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 like you need. I I feel like the the Return is like the 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 kind of the evolution of what he's setting up in the first one. Um, the return, as as was said when it came out, is m- so much more a sequel to Firewalk with me. You know what I mean? Like you really it, the the tone, the energy, the the horror elements of it, the, all those things are so much more. Because Twin Peaks wasn't really, mm. you know, w- 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 with a lot of exceptions, it was a goofy kind of soap opera parody. It was a primetime soap. It was a riff on primetime soaps with these sort of surrealist horror elements thrown in there. Um, the the return to me, pacing wise is a, is a really i think it's just like a beautiful blend i think it's a really really good blend of it um i'm excited to rewatch i've seen the return i watched it when it was on then i watched it when i got the blu-ray set and now i'm watching it again so this will be okay. my third time watching it um so i'm i'm here like you with star trek i'm here for all of it yeah i haven't seen the return since it aired yeah I have the blu-ray set but i've never sat down to watch it because i know that i have to watch the first two seasons and firewalk with me first yeah and who could possibly who could- yeah, you can. <laughs> I put my um, hand up. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, just every now, every now and then, you just have to, you know, reacquaint yourself with those things. And I just, oh, for uh, sure, I always just, want to. I just yeah. never actually do. Or I'll start it and I'll get through season one, mm-hmm. and then I move on to something else. And then when I come back to it, I'm like, well, I better watch season one again. And luckily, it's only eight episodes or whatever. But and I did pace myself with it because I because they're. Cause the episodes are longer, they're slower, you know, and I was kind of like, let me, let me get an hour in after, you know, my son goes to bed. Like I got enough time for one, you know, and I'll, yeah. so, I didn't bur- so I didn't burn myself out of it. You know, I right. took my time. So, right. Um, well, I have bad news for you. Um, I watched hypnotic this week because it is streaming on Peacock and it is a sad state of affairs for your boy, Ben Affleck. 
You, this, you were texting me about this, and I, I don't have. I realize I don't have Peacock, so I haven't seen it yet. You're probably fine. Um, not having Peacock, I do think you should and will see Hypnotic at some point. Um, there's not much on Peacock except, I guess, when the Five Nights at Freddy's movie comes out, you'll have to subscribe. Uh, I'm just kidding. Who wants to see Five Nights at Freddy's? Like, I saw a trailer for it the other day, and I was like, well, this looks like. Like Willy's Wonderland beat them to the punch. Yeah. Even though it's a five night five nights of Freddy's ripoff, it's like they got there first. So anyway, it's a real transmorphers uh situation. <laughs> um hypnotic is holy shit. Uh I don't even know how to talk about it. I won't talk about it that much, but it really feels like well, because we're going to do a whole episode on it. That's why you don't want to talk about it too much. Because well, once I see it, we have to do a whole episode. Is he is I, Ben bad in it? He's unhappy. Okay. It's not that he's giving a bad performance. He's just bored and unhappy. It feels very much like it comes from that paycheck period, like early 2000s, where Ben yeah. was just agreeing to too many movies. Um, it does kind of tip the scales and confirm what I've long suspected, which is that Robert Rodriguez might be a bad director. I can't decide. Okay. Cause he has a lot of movies I like and his last big mainstream movie was battle angel Alita battle angel, which I liked yep. and I thought was well-directed. Uh, he co-wrote this one and directed it. And it's just a disaster of like, I, I-, I can't wait for you to see it because dramatically it is fucking fascinating in terms of like how much characters need to keep explaining things to each other, how much it thinks that just pulling the rug out from under you is the same as like raising the stakes. I don't want to spoil anything, but one of the main characters spends the last 10. Okay. It's Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck spends the last 10 to 15 minutes of this movie just standing and watching two other characters have a conversation. It's like, no, 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 this is your protagonist. He needs to be involved in the climax of the movie, but he's just like standing on a porch, like listening to two other characters have a conversation. I've never seen such a misguided use of a protagonist and such a an underwhelming climax. It, it, it's a fascinating movie that is not very good. First off, underwhelming climax title, my sex tape. Second of all, <laughs> was this shot recently or was this on a shelf? Like where, like, I don't, I'm, I'm, my questions are like, where did Affleck's relationship with Robert Rodriguez come from? Cause I'm not familiar unless he met him through Kevin Smith. I don't know. I mean, not that he has to have one, but typically if, a a person in Affleck's position right now where he's really repositioned himself in a really careful way. If he's going to do like schlock stuff or whatever, I don't know. I don't know the tone of the film because I haven't seen it, but I know it was a movie that came and went. Nobody, it got buried. Like I have no clue what the genesis of this was, where it came from. It feels to me like a movie that was sitting on a shelf from like before COVID and it just got pushed out. Like, is that, I don't know if that's the case or not. Well, I'm on the Wikipedia page right now. Okay. Robert Rodriguez wrote the screenplay in 2002. Oh, what's well, well, what con- you said? That's what it feels sounds like. about right. Yeah. <laughs> Confirmed to direct in 2018. Okay. Affleck signs on in 2019. Hmm. 
Principal photography starts in late 2021 and concludes in November of that same year. So it sat around for about a year, I guess. Um, is this like a post COVID he's just looking for work kind of thing? Like, is that like, maybe I better just take whatever job I can get. Cause who knows if movies will exist anymore. Like, I don't, I just, I'm just very curious about why Affleck took this role. Cause Affleck's not in his, is, is, you know, Liam Neeson, you know, he's no. not in his Nick Cage phase yet, you know? No, he's been on a really good run. And, like, and he seems to be being really careful about yeah. it. Yeah. You know what he's I mean? Been, so he's just, been ah. pretty choosy. Yeah. It made no sense to me why he would agree to take this role for this filmmaker. Um, like you said, unless they were like friends from way back and we don't know. Uh, and Affleck me. to me, Affleck to me, not a guy with Robert Rodriguez energy. You know what I mean? Like not really. Who is someone with Robert? I mean, I agree with you. Like their pairing doesn't make sense, but like, who would you say is someone with Robert Rodriguez? Energy? That's, that's a good question. And yeah, is I it mean, Danny just, Trejo? I, it's Danny Trejo. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's chaotic, you know, Rose McGowan. It's, you know, it's the like, or it's even, even when you get into like with Grindhouse, like I know this is Quentin, but like, even like a Kurt Russell t- like could do it. Like, you know what I mean? Cause there's a, there's an element, there's a, there's an inset element of like machismo parody in, in Kurt Russell sure. already where he can play himself, but also he can play a parody of himself. Affleck, I don't think has that range even when he wants to like, I just, right. I just to me, Affleck is like, I, I think Affleck is funny. I think he's, he can be a leading man. He can be fucking Batman. I, 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 you know, there's all kinds of things that he can do. Um, just to me, it just doesn't feel like a good mix of sensibilities at all. What, which apparently when, it wasn't. <laughs> when did he, um, like get clean? Uh, I'd, I'd be, I'd be Googling. Um, okay. um so I want to say, you know, cause this is, let's see, it's around the time that he's shooting, um, deep water with Ana de Armas, right? Cause Ana de Armas is kind of, that relationship was kind of, uh, part and parcel, I think of him getting clean. Um, so could this be from the period when he was not? Uh, it's possible. I mean, or he agreed to do it during the period. That's what, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, maybe this is a fallow period for him or what he thought was a fallow period. And maybe he felt like maybe he needed to, you know, come out. I, I know that he said, you know, 2019, 2020, he's still, I I think he, he goes, um, 2020, I feel like is around the time where he really starts to go on his like victory lap tour and like really starts to say like, look, I'm out of it now. You know, my, my always say like wizened Affleck, like the way back Affleck or or, uh, the tender bar Affleck where he's like gray in the beard. Now he's talking about just his kids and how much he loves life. And he's not being creepy anymore and all that. Um, That's the F that's the F like I hope to be, you know, in, in my, in, you know, when I, my forties and you know, so on, I want, uh, I want that wizened Ben Affleck energy. Uh, we need to talk about the fact that this movie grossed 8 million on a $65 million budget. Excuse me. <laughs> I need you to see this movie so you could tell me I... how, how Robert Rodriguez embezzled $59 million. <laughs> Robert Rodriguez, $50 million. 65, baby. Oh, 65, excuse me. 65. 65. Even where somebody got, and, and listen, like I'm, you know, I understand art is in a weird place right now, but, even I can say, who gave Robert Rodriguez $65 million? <laughs> like, it's not 2003. What are you doing? And his whole thing is that he can do it for very little money, Super, right? Yeah. Like, he sold his body for science and he makes movies on the cheap. All right. 
we're going to we're going to play a quick game here where I'm going to name some Robert Rodriguez movies if I can separate his okay. IMDb cuz oh, I see like, what you I see what you're going to do here. here there's features and but yes. there's also like behind the scenes and 10 minute film school and TV episodes so I'm going to try to just do the features. All right. And you say thumbs up or thumbs down, okay? Got it. Yeah. El Mariachi. <laughs> sure. Thumbs up. <laughs> All right. Yes. Uh, did you ever see Road Racers, his Rebel Highway segment for Showtime? No. Okay. We'll skip that one. It's kind of a thumbs is it, down. Is it thumbs up or down for you? You're, play, you're playing too. Oh, uh, it's kind of a thumbs down, but okay. I, I need to rewatch it again. Salma Hayek is in it. It can't be all bad. Got it. Um, Desperado. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thumbs up, right? Sure. Yeah. From Dust Till Dawn. <clears throat> oh, sorry. I, Interesting. So, I'm not a big fan of that movie. Okay. Um. Um. I. I. I can. It's one of those movies I can respect, appreciate, understand why people like it. It's not for me. Okay. I. I would go thumbs up on that. Uh. Sure, the, the faculty. Uh. I saw it once. I don't remember. Okay. I've seen it several times. I think okay. we did a whole podcast on it. I couldn't tell you if it's a thumbs up or thumbs yeah. down. <laughs> There's enough good stuff. People really love it. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say thumbs up. Spy okay. Kids. Spy Kids, thumbs up. Thumbs up. Spy Kids yes. 2. Didn't see it. I think it's even better than Spy Kids. I'm going thumbs up. Cool. Spy Kids 3, game over. Didn't see it. Big thumbs down. Got it. Total garbage. Uh, okay. Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Can we even talk about that movie? I don't even know if it's legal to talk about that movie. <laughs> Um, I remember liking it. Uh, I remember like that was like peak film school, Rob, like, like oh, interesting. you know what I mean? Like yeah. that period. I remember because that was like El Mariachi, Desperado, it, the, the epic Godfather three. Like this is the epic conclusion, you know? So I remember liking it. I have not watched it. It's on the shelf. I have not watched it. Since, since, since then. It's not great. Okay. I wanted to love it for all the reasons you just said, but those sure. were all the more reasons why it disappointed me. Yeah. Um, and it came out the same weekend as Cabin Fever, which is a better movie. Uh, Sin City. I, again, like, if I watched it now, how would I feel? I don't know. That movie lives in such a place and time yeah. that I don't even know. My memories of the first one are positive. My memories of the second one are not as positive. Um, I believe thumbs up, I think. Right? Yeah, I think so, too. I, I mean, I think so. Just for Mickey Rourke and Carla Gugino. That's what I'm saying. Like it's yeah. got so many. It, it's such a place in time, but it's got so much interesting stuff to it. Yeah. Uh, the Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Didn't see it. Thumbs down. Okay. Planet Terror. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Shorts. Oh, I thought you were. <laughs> it's I a movie. You were announcing that we had now moved into the short <laughs> film section of his filmography. <laughs> I've never seen shorts, as you can probably imagine. Thumbs down, baby. Thumbs down. Machete. Didn't see it. I kind of like it, but it's probably a thumbs down. Got it. Uh, Spy Kids 4, All the Time in the World. Didn't see it. Thumbs down. Machete Kills. So, (laughs) saw it. (laughs) Interesting. Which is weird. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember kind of rolling my eyes and being like, oh, Robert Rodriguez, you're still Robert Rodriguez. So yeah. I would say thumbs down, but that's just me. No, it's a thumbs down. I feel yeah. we, we might be in this. 
like I think we're in the garage period where he's just yeah. making movies in his garage for his family. Right. Uh, Sin City, a dame to kill for. Thumbs down. Definitely thumbs down. But like, yeah. if I'm going to give Sin City a thumbs up just for Carla Gugino, in theory, I should be giving the sequel a thumbs up for Eva Green, but I can't do it. Well, we, I mean, everything is up for Eva Green. But the problem is like, I saw, you know, like I saw Sin City in 2003. You know, I see Sin City, a dame to kill for in 2014. There are, and True. that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's like 20, you know, late teens versus, you know, whatever that was, late 20s or whatever. <laughs> I can't do math. But like, you know, that's in the life of a Robert Rodriguez film, there's a big difference between your late teens and your <laughs> late 20s when you're watching it. So maybe it's good. I just remember it being dog shit. It's kind of dog shit. Um, okay. He's made fewer features than I realized. Uh, Alita Battle Angel. Alita Battle Angel, thumbs up. Something called Red 11? What the fuck is Red 11? Is this a feature? Red 11. It is a feature. It says it's a feature. It's written by him and his son, Racer. Cool. It stars no one I recognize. Did it go like right to Netflix? I haven't seen this one. This might be the only Robert Rodriguez movie I haven't seen. His his kids are Rebel and Racer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, we can be heroes. Never saw it. Thumbs down. Okay. Uh, what is this? He directed a lot of like Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett shows. I don't watch. Thumbs down on those. Okay. <laughs> and uh <laughs> hypnotic thumbs down. So I mean, is he mostly bad at this? I feel like we we're probably fifty fifty. I didn't yeah. I wasn't counting, but I wasn't counting either. There's enough good stuff that I can't say he's a bad filmmaker. I mean, but you can a, 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 a film you look at a filmmaker's career and you say, like, can I definitively point to something and say that is a Robert Rodriguez movie? Then that makes him a good director. Like or that makes him a notable director. You know what I mean? I mean, like I understand like there's the exceptions of like the Neil Breen's and the Tommy Wiseau's and the, all that right. stuff. But like you can point to something and say like, that's his style. I, don't, I mean, maybe good is the wrong word to use, but like notable at least. I don't yeah. know. But what is his style? Like made in his garage written by his exactly. kids starring Danny Trejo. Yeah. Dorm room core. You know what I mean? Like that's <laughs> <laughs> which, and no disrespect to the dorm rooms out there. Like we need, <laughs> we need dorm room core. I understand that. And this is just me anecdotally speaking as somebody who was a teenager when he was coming to provident, uh, prominence yeah. and is no longer a teenager. So I have less patience for him. Um, uh, he might but, have the best segment in four rooms. See, that's a movie. I, I, that was a blockbuster, you know, rental way back when, when mm. I was like, when it was like film school, Rob, um, but I do not remember four rooms at all. It's not great. Um, I remember that was yeah. the movie where like, if you were cool, it was like, Oh, you know, Tim Roth from reservoir dogs. Cool. I know him from four rooms. <laughs> like that movie was made after like, what do you, I know about? him from Vincent and Theo. <laughs> well, you win. Man. That's how cool I am. I know him from, uh, <laughs> what's the one with Terrence stamp, the hit. I know him from the hit. Um, I saw, Perpetrator, which is the new Jennifer Reader movie that just showed up on Shudder. And I don't even necessarily want to describe the plot except to say that it's about a young woman who goes to live with her uh, aunt, played by Alicia Silverstone, 
who is kind of entering her scream queen era era. era. Um, and she starts to discover things about herself. And meanwhile, there's a serial killer running loose. Um, the okay. first half of the movie, I was pretty on board. The second half, when they start to explain stuff, I was way less on board. So Jennifer Reeder had made Knives and Skin, which is a pretty cool, like, queer giallo movie uh, that I think is on Shudder. Perpetrator is also on Shudder. She's one of these filmmakers. I, I mentioned it in passing when I was talking to Jan last week on the show. And I said, there are certain filmmakers who I will check out every new movie they have. Even if I'm not like all in on Jennifer reader, I will always see a Jennifer reader movie because I think she's enough of a talent that maybe one of these will click with me. And even Mm. if they don't, it will always be interesting, you know, whereas Robert Rodriguez, I feel like I'm still following his career because at one point he meant so much to me, but like now he's making fucking hypnotic and there's nothing interesting about it except what a mess it is. Trying to think. We, I was listening to when you were talking um, to Jan last week. Hi, Jan. Miss you. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to think of like who that is for me. Like who's that filmmaker? Um, who, for you, it's Ben Wheatley, right? Or one he's of one of them. But He's one of them, but I have like them, yeah. so many. Where you're kind of waiting for them. Like, okay, I like this. I'm waiting to see what that'd be yeah. an interesting conversation. Like assemble a list of like the people who are on the cusp, the people who are almost there. You're waiting for them to make that thing that you're really going to enjoy. Um, and I kind of uh, think it's never going to happen, but I'm still yeah. willing to follow their careers. I mean, listen, the only way to do this now is you basically you follow them for the first two indie movies they make and then they get snatched up by Disney and they're making, you know, Thor six. And you're like, well, now I now I know it's not happening. You know what I mean? Now I know I'm not going to get to see their really cool kind of apotheosis of their creative destiny. It's like, no, I get to see them make Ant-Man six. And it's like, well, that's less interesting. (laughs) Well, okay, let me ask you this, because I'm certainly not trying to take shots at like. Uh, Nia DaCosta, right? Sure. Were you a fan of her Candyman? I personally was not. I wasn't really either. And yet I feel like the internet sort of anointed her like the new big thing before Candyman came out. And because she had made, what was the movie she had made? Little Woods. Little Woods, which I liked. Yeah, Little Woods is good. Yeah. Um, but based on Candyman, I, I feel like people were like, well, shit, Nia, Nia DaCosta can do no wrong. And she immediately graduates to the Marvels. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just sometimes we're a little quick to uh, crown filmmakers. Um, and I feel like when you. I imagine if you ask some of these filmmakers, first of all, nobody is nobody's agent is going to let them say no to a Marvel movie. You know what yeah, I mean? Right, like, nobody, right. like, like, you know what I mean? If you're offered a Marvel movie, I, I'm sorry. Like you're, unless you're, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson or something like that. And you truly don't need it. If you yeah. want an, a career in Hollywood and you're up and coming, it's like, you know, I'm going to say yes, because as we've discussed a thousand times, the middle budget movies, Either they don't exist or they're on Hulu and they get lost or whatever. And you know what? You make this, you take this opportunity. So I'm not begrudging anybody they're taking their shot or their opportunity. I'm just saying it does create this imbalance, this creative imbalance where it's like, you know, 
like Adam jokes with me all the time about the Phillies and, and um, Patrick as a baseball guy, I know you're mm-hmm, really going to mm-hmm, understand mm-hmm. these references. You're going to understand mm-hmm. exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but you know, when you're putting a team together, sometimes you have a farm system and you, and you bring guys up and you, you nurture them and you grow from a young age, you bring them up through the minor leagues and they, you know, they're your hometown guy. And the Phillies had that when we won our world series back in 08. Um, but the last seven well, I'd say five years or so of the Phillies have been, Adam says, uh, look at the fun toys I bought, which is we're we're buying established stars and putting yeah. them on the team. And we're building yeah. a team of all-stars, okay, which, you know, we used to be the thing you 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 were mad at the Yankees for doing. Sorry to Yankees fans out there. Uh, not, not really, but um, – <laughs> But but this idea that like I feel like you know Disney is like the Yankees where they're just like taking they're just like okay well you did something well you're going to come up over here and we're going to put you on this all star team now and and completely dilute them of any individuality and you know I, I and and we and we're not the first people to complain about this and some of you are probably rolling your eyes like oh my god we're still talking about this whole thing but it is something I do hope when the strikes end. Um, as I, and as I've written on basically every, uh, I really hammered it home on my Blue Beetle review, which is like, I just, the superhero thing, I think is done. I really do. I think it's done. I think it's on its way. I think it was on its way out with The Flash. It was on its way out with Quantumania. I don't think there's a single superhero movie that came out this year, Marvel, DC, whatever, that justifies another five years of Marvel dominance. I just mm-hmm. don't think it's happening anymore. I think they're done. And they'll pivot to TV and there'll still be IP out there. But I'm hoping that this realignment happens where now we're going to start to see those those upcoming filmmakers hopefully maybe start to get a little bit more of a middle brow shot give mm-hmm. them give them give them the money the 65 million dollars that they gave to robert rodriguez to make boring dog shit and put ben affleck through probably the worst three months of his life <laughs> shooting that movie give that to no need to cost it to make like an interesting yeah. middle brow movie you know yeah. um you know and that being said like i have I'm discovering when I watched the 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 uh, the trailer for Exorcist Believer um, that I have maybe a little bit of a David Gordon Green allergy now because it's like we put David Gordon Green in charge of horror and it's like yeah <laughs> you know what I mean it's like well I mean no offense to the guy and I liked I've liked his movies but I'm like I, I really like is that we decided he just gets to remake all the horror movies now and he just gets i'm sorry legacy sequels he gets to do all the legacy sequels now and you know he's gonna just stay in that lane forever because why wouldn't he you know what i mean so he it was, cuts both ways he was one of my guys for a long time in terms of like sure. i would see any david gordon green movie regardless of if i loved the last one and exorcist believer might be the one that bucks the trend because yeah and again I'm, like Interesting filmmaker, dude. I've I've liked his movies, 100. percent I even, uh, you know, rewatching Halloween uh, ends. Like that movie is so weird, and I don't, I can't say I like it, but there's something really weird and interesting going on in that movie that I think yeah. I definitely was part of the camp that overlooked that because I was just so overwhelmed by what it was doing. But um, there's he's done lots of cool stuff, so I'm happy for him. But what are we doing? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a bummer, and I kind of miss the days where there was kind of a farm system. I think about right. like the Wachowskis only made Bound to prove they could make the Matrix. Exactly. Like, and who knows? Had they come right out of the gate with the Matrix, it might be the exact same movie, and we might be saying, "Holy shit, look what they did on their first movie!" Right. But we would have lost Bound in the process, and I'm not Which- willing to give up Bound. Absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely not. That movie is awesome. Yeah, it is. 
Should we talk about that or should we talk about Wild at Heart? You want to talk about Bound now? Yes. Um, we are doing a hypnotic show, though. We're pu- I'm putting. I'm, I'm putting <laughs> we have our we have our scary movie month show settled already. But after that, we're doing yeah. a freaking hypnotic show. If we did a walk through the switchgrass or whatever the hell that remember it was midnight in the switchgrass. Remember our fuck it period where we were just doing whatever. <laughs> we're still in our fuck it period. Uh, <laughs> Adam and I did a show on Wolf. Um, <laughs> if yeah, I'm totally for like. No. I'm willing at this point, I, you know, again, there were years where I was like, I don't know if there's a show there. And now yeah. we're 13 years and 700 episodes in. And I'm just like, there's a show in anything. Show Fuck, I don't fucking care. <laughs> um, so, of course, there's a show on hypnotic. Yes. I don't know if anybody will listen to it, but Midnight in the Switchgrass, you know, there had just been so many jokes about it. And right. uh, I re-listened to it once. For some reason, I was trying to track something down. And for no good reason, we just fucking pile on Emil Hirsch. <laughs> and, I, and I was proud of that. <laughs> I remember nothing about that show, but I'm definitely going to go back and listen to it. We just keep talking about how he's trying to prove what a big boy he is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, because right, I think I remember him saying like, he looked like a baby in a police outfit or something yeah, like that. Like, yeah, he, like he a grows boy. a mustache to prove that he's a big boy. And uh, <laughs> he is like the fucking king of the DTV Redbox shit now. I got to get caught up with I was I I did a little bit of red boxing catch up the other day or the other week or two weeks ago or I don't know what is time. Um, (laughs) But I definitely want to sit down like I'm trying to plan like, okay over like Christmas break, you're going to nail that red box. It's like, no, I'm not that screener season. There's no way I'm going to do that. So (laughs) Maybe in January, I'll do it. That'll be my red box time where I get caught up with the red box. Do you remember what you saw from the red box? Uh, that's all my letterbox. I'd have to go look. Yeah, don't worry it's, about it then. Yeah, it's, it's something in there. I don't remember something super memorable. Obviously, yeah, certainly. Yeah. Let's talk about Wild at Heart, baby. Let's do it. Um, Wild at Heart is a movie. That's it. Wild at Heart is a movie. Thanks uh, for listening. Uh, <laughs> I in 1990. It was a Friday after school, and I was by myself, and I ordered it from pay-per-view and recorded it my mom was working i didn't tell her that i had done this but like twin peaks was in the zeitgeist and roger ebert had not liked it and talked about how it was violent and nicholas cage was in it and i was pretty sure there was some sex in it and i was like 12 so i was like i'm gonna watch wild at heart the movie kind of went over my head right um but it was it's one of these david lynch movies there's four that when I'm watching them, I'm like, is this my favorite one? And I know that it's not. It's probably in my top three. Um, the two now that are really in the running are Mulholland Drive and Lost Highway. But I think I give the edge to Lost Highway. Um, yeah, Lost Highway, I know to be your favorite. That's yeah. that's what you've always kind of said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but Wild at Heart rules. Yes. Uh, I showed it in february for smash cut which was my first time ever getting to see it in a theater and it's probably the most i've ever connected to the movie maybe something about the size of the performances because they were literally on a giant screen um the the projection finally matched up with the size of the performance you know and so it was like it wasn't these crazy over the top things trying to escape my tv it was like they felt safely contained on a giant screen um 
a lot of the Wizard of Oz stuff was like making more sense than it had in the past. And I picked it for February because it was Valentine's Day, because I've often joked the Wild at Heart is the most romantic movie ever made. It's, I mean, literally about, you know, young love, the passion of young yeah. love, the, the, yeah. the idea that young being being in love when you're young is like. I need to escape from everything else in the world. Every nothing else in the world matters. Everything else in the world is chaotic and terrible except this right, right here. Right. And this whole movie is just Sailor and Lula running from the reality that is encroaching upon them. Mm-hmm. Right. The reality of adulthood, the reality of parental expectation, all the things that are coming into it. And all of it is just blown up in this big, gaudy David Lynch, like semiotic masterpiece and it's just they run away from death at one point like literally run away from death yeah yeah um, i mean i don't even really know where to start i did want to say though, for as for as awesome as it is that you got to see it on the big screen yeah i do think that being a young person living it with mom and renting it on pay-per-view without mom knowing is maybe yeah. also one of the other best ways to watch wild because <laughs> this is a movie you sneak you know, this is yeah. an under the under the under the pillow movie when you're when you're a kid, right? You should definitely see this movie when you're 13, but don't tell anybody you saw it when you were 13. <laughs> um, no, I love this movie. I adore this movie. Um, as I said, I'm I'm deep in Twin Peaksville right now, and this movie um is sometimes unfairly blamed for the the speaking of the second season of Twin Peaks. It's sort of unfairly blamed uh, for that's why Twin Peaks declined in quality because Lynch was making Wild at Heart. Um, the timelines don't really match up there. He was done Wild at Heart when they were airing the first season of Twin Peaks. Um, so it's not really true. Um, but uh, but uh, it, this feels very much of a piece with that of the idea of the sort of the Laura Palmer story and sort of this innocence trying to escape the brutality of the world that is um um masking itself as something beautiful same thing with blue velvet right blue velvet yeah right Lynch, i was just about Lynch's, to say that lynch's sort of obsession for that late 80s early 90s period is this idea that like the, the americana is infected it, there's mm-hmm. mold underneath it when you lift it up you know what i mean and that's so much of what this movie is i was i was so shocked re-watching this because i watch this every couple of years but I was so shocked and so pleasantly just like in love with this movie watching it because there's so much for as much as stylistically it shares a lot with Twin Peaks. There's that sort of kind of staid, awkward, quiet energy to Twin Peaks where people are walking around and, you know, like Lynch will like hold on the end of a scene like a beat longer than he needs to or and there's like a little bit of that in this, but the rest of it is just the energy. It's just the energy. Yeah. Like, like Laura Dern. I mean, literally Nicholas Cage stumbles into this movie <laughs> in the middle of beating the shit out of somebody. Laura Dern. I say this delicately, but she looks like she's just had sex the entire movie because yeah. she's literally just had sex the entire movie. Like when you go from, from blue velvet, where she's literally playing, you know, the innocent as, as innocent as possible. Like I, I, I wrote down, I was like, did Lynch ask her to turn the fuck meter up to 11? Like, like she every, does successfully. She, I mean, and she's incredible in the movie. And, and, and well, I mean, I'll let you get, I'll let you talk about cage. Cause this is just like, this is just incredible cage, but um, no, I adore this movie mostly because I'm just, again, I'm such a David Lynch fan. David Lynch is my favorite filmmaker. And, and I, when you're speaking his language, when you're in his, in his like mode, so much of this movie is I'm not, I'm not worried about trying to pick apart all the little things. Like I think we, we, t- we were talking last night about Crispin Glover and about <laughs> how like the amazing part about wild at heart is that Crispin Glover is in it. And he's only like the, 
tenth weirdest thing in it. You know what I mean? Like that's that's how you know the movie is something. Um, and uh, David Lynch has this quote from his from his book Room to Dream that I, I always remember, which is, um, it, uh, "Keep your eye on the donut, not the hole." Meaning, like, like you know, it's kind of like see the forest for the trees. I guess I'm not really right. sure, but like, but for me, it's it's just like because so many people tend to ask questions about David Lynch movies when it's like, well, hold on, like, wait, what's going on there? Why is, why is this guy like at the bar squeaking and talking about pigeons or what's going on with the Bobby Peru character? What is that all about? Like, it's not, it's like, everything is of a piece. Like Lynch is a, is a, is a mood painter. Like he's a person who's just, he's, he puts a tone up on the screen and, and so much of his palette is like, is just energies and exaggerations and and the the wizard of oz element of this and the and the brutality of you know the bobby peru character and all the all the sexual dysfunction with some of the characters including like the diane ladd stuff like we were talking before we went on mic about um roger ebert's review and for as much as we love roger ebert ebert hated david lynch i mean he just he, he did not like his work for the most part he came around on some things later but he was constantly you know on edge when it came to lynch and um and his review was really, really, I uh, was just reading it before we went on, uh, so fixated on the violence, so fixated on the fact that the violence is brutal, the violence is terrible. Um, I'm not angry about the violence, but the violence is terrible. He kept, <laughs> insisting, he kept insisting in his review that like, oh, well, the movie is a parody and he's masking his need to show violence and just saying, oh, it's a parody. First of all, it's not. I mean, that's not, it's not a parody. It's not. No. What, that's not what Wild at Heart is. The Wild at Heart is a genuine love story. It's it's a beautiful, angry, just chaotic love story. And 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 that's what I really. And I don't begrudge Roger that, but like, it's one of those things where it's like you just you have to be on its level. You have to be on its frequency. You have to be. You have to go with what it's given you. You have to keep your eye on the donut and not the hole. I think Ebert. And I don't want to put my thoughts in his head, RIP, but like, I think there was something tonally about Lynch that made him think that Lynch was putting shit in air quotes, that it was um, not parody, but deliberate camp. Um, But it's like, no, when he shows the picket fence in Blue Velvet, he means it like he's not. He is talking about, you know, the darkness under Americana and all that, but he's also really serious about the Americana shit. He's not just using it to make fun of and then say, because what I'm really interested is the rot underneath. Um, He's into both of them and his movies are into both of them. And as you said, like, this is a very straightforward love story and lines like Cage's line about his jacket, how it's a symbol of his individuality, like, if you are someone who's predisposed to reject David Lynch, you're going to hear a line like that and say, oh, okay, that's some air quote shit. He doesn't mean that. But again, Lynch means that 100%. He made a whole TV series fetishizing cherry pie and coffee. I mean, the right, dude loves right. Americana. Like, it's not, right. he's not. The one thing I always say sometimes when people challenge me on David Lynch is I, I just, D- David Lynch is not trying to trick you. I understand why people think he is. I understand sure. why people think like, oh, it's a mystery and you got to figure it out. And like, you see all the, you know, because again, Twin Peaks, I've been watching and you see on the internet all that like, oh, Twin Peaks explained and all these like YouTube videos where it's like you and it's like, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. The point is not to have it explained to you, you know, and Lynch constantly <laughs> says at interviews where it's like, oh, your your movies are these like puzzle piece mysteries. And he's like, what? No, they're not. You know, like he just tells <laughs> on his like, just feel 
middle of the movie. You know, it's right in front of you. You know, I'm, I'm doing Gordon Cole, not David Lynch, but <laughs> it's the only Lynch impression I've got. Cooper, <laughs> um, you remind me today of a small Mexican Chihuahua. Um, we love David, but um, Heck yeah. no, it's it's uh, it's it's again, like you said, like he's being sincere with it. Like, yeah. <laughs> When you're young and you're in love, what are you doing? You're running away from your parents. Your parents are going crazy at home because they don't want you out with that boy, right? What's going on with Diane Lance's character? She's losing her mind and painting mm. her face and doing <laughs> because that's what a young girl or a young person would think that mom is doing at home because, you know, and, you know, oh, they're on the run. They're on the run from the law. And then, and obviously, you know, not to spoil the movie for anybody, but, you know, the pregnancy is like this encroaching adulthood thing, like the consequences of our actions. And, like, and I love all the moments like, like the the single the, the thesis statement for me of Wild at Heart is they go to this like thrash metal show right and they're dancing and dancing and dancing and they're getting in on and then they get in this fight everything stops sailor you know uh, uh, quits himself well he resolves the situation coming out of it looking like a looking like a man you know don't mess with my girl oh get yourself a beer be good the band stops for him tosses him the microphone and they sing Elvis while everybody cheers and it's like. When you're young, you're the protagonist of the world. That's right. how it feels when you're young and you're in love and you're in on this beautiful celebratory journey with where just you and your person matter and that's it. And all Lynch is doing is just making that feeling cinematic. Mm -hmm. That's all he ever does. He's just he's taking a feeling, a tone, a mood and he's and he's painting it up on the screen and he's saying this is what it feels like. All the weird characters they run into in this movie, they all kind of, I don't want to say they all represent something, but they're all the sort of the other, you know, forces of the world that are, that are trying to like spoil this love. And all they're trying to do is stay on the road together. And, and, you know, and, and, and the movie and the characters are self-aware at one point, you know, when I think it's Lula says like, I wish we could just stay in love forever. Yeah. Right. Like, I wish we could just, I wish we could stay. And it's like that thing you hear in romance, you know, romance movies, but like, they're aware of the fact that like, you know, to come, go back to the wizard of Oz where uh sailor says, you know, um, we, we, we uh, broke down on the side of the yellow brick road or something like that. Like, you know, right. we, were, we were in it and, and life keeps trying to get in the way. And the whole thing with the heist at the end and all that is like, all that stuff is trying to, to get our, to get our friends. And we just want them to be left alone. <laughs> <laughs> What do you make of this is probably too specific while we're still talking kind of big picture Lynch, but one of the characters, I won't say he doesn't make sense to me, but poor Johnny Farragut in this movie, like yeah. it's not that he doesn't make sense. It's not that he doesn't seem to fit. He's Harry Dean Stanton. Of course he fits within the Lynch world, but like he's almost too nice a guy to succeed in this world and the movie makes that point obviously given his eventual fate and right. um but everyone else in the movie is so sort of outsized because as you were saying like it it exists to capture the feeling of what it's like to be young and so everything in the movie is turned up to 11 the music is turned up to 11 the violence is turned up to 11 the yeah. sex is turned up to 11 the performances are turned up to 11 the dialogues turned up to 11 except for Johnny Farragut, <laughs> who is like this poor normal guy who just wants to do right by Diane Laid and Diane Laid, Diane Ladd, and uh, is sort of punished for it. I, I think, you know, Lynch will sometimes have those outlying characters who are, I think, sort of serve to emphasize, you know what I mean? Like emphasize by comparison. So maybe. Hold on one sec, Rob. Something happened where. 
Can you try talking? Hey. Yeah, there you are. Okay. Right there. Okay. Sound cut out for a second, but can okay. you just start that over? Sorry about that. Yeah. Did you? Not your fault. Yeah, you were just talking, right? Yeah. Um, I think that there's uh, Lynch will sometimes put a character like in there as like an emphasis for comparison, like oh he's you know he's sort of uh, <laughs> I think of like like yeah, I don't know Deputy Andy in Twin Peaks, like he's the normal <laughs> one, like he's the one who's who's what he says he is on the surface. Um, is Deputy also, Andy the normal one? I think Deputy Andy is the normal one on Twin Peaks. Yeah, interesting. I thought it was uh, Michael Ankeen or whatever his well, name. Well, yeah, he's sort of the the cowboy everyman. Yeah, he's. I mean, yeah, he kind of is too. I don't know. I guess I just for me, but Michael Ankeen has that whole uh, uh, romance with the girl who ends up in the door knocker and all that. Yeah, right, all right, right. Weird stuff. Um, but I, I think I also think that I haven't read the Barry Giffords novel Wild at Heart. I'm not sure if maybe that was a character in there, and maybe he was just in order to move the plot along, like yeah. he was kind of put in there. But yeah. Yeah, I don't. Again, I don't really have an explanation for for why that character tonally is so different. I think it might just be sometimes when you're plotting out a story like that, there's got to be that sacrificial lamb that emphasizes the danger, and maybe that's all it was. I don't okay. Know. Yeah, I, I I don't either. I don't I have just, a great take on it. My most recent viewing, I was like, I was feeling so sad for Johnny Farragut. Yeah. And Henry Henry Dean Stanton is just a Harry Dean Stanton. I'm Henry Dean Lad. <laughs> laid laid um, Henry Dean laid she did. uh is almost incapable of not imbuing a character with sadness like he just yeah. has the saddest eyes which i was i was looking because legendarily uh bachelor for his whole life right he's he's legendarily like you know and i was looking at his wikipedia page there night and there's a line in his wikipedia page where he's like yeah i never got married never really worked for me i got like a bunch of kids probably i don't know i was just like instant <laughs> legend (laughs) love it anyway um i love the but going back to the the sort of that we were talking about the escape the one the scene that really stood out to me this time and really kind of horrified me was um and really i think we were talking about laura dern who we just i mean we should always be talking about laura dern um the scene with the radio the scene where they Mm -hmm. they stop and she's I mean, if Lynch again, Lynch isn't trying to trick you, right? right. He's he's putting things up there when when he's turning, she's turning the knob and it's just like murder, death, kidnapping, rape, blah, blah, blah. And she just like you have she's like she's like, sailor, you put some music on, like put some. Yeah. Like, I am not letting the world ruin this for me. And right. they dance on the side and he does the flip off the car, the car. And it's just like so beautiful. Like it's so just like they're just they're young, they're immature, they're trying to escape. And. Um, I just think that's so much of what this movie is. And, 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 you know, Bobby Peru is this interesting, you know, yet another mm-hmm. interesting character um, in this world. He has, to me, he has like kind of for a little while has sort of the same like Frank Booth energy, kind of like Dennis Hopper in, in, in um, Blue Velvet sure. kind of, yeah. like he's a different character, but he's kind of serves that same purpose where he's this, just like just this like threatening force that is, you know, corruptive and evil and all that. And, um, but again, well, he, like he that, changes the the energy of the movie as soon as he comes into it. Yeah. And I love that, like Lynch introduces him just with the house. Like it's just yeah. two, two shots of the house before we go in to see who's in there. Um, you know, and then when he's also got we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the cast because there's a whole all kinds of everybody Lynch ever worked with at the time, like is in this movie. Um, but uh, but I just I, again, when you when you think about these movies, when, as, you know, if you're like me and you, you spend a lot of time trying to think about like quote-unquote unlocking david lynch movies it's just Mm -hmm. like it's an energy character doesn't have to totally make sense character brings an energy and that's then that's what we're going for and that that to Mm -hmm. me is so much of what that bobby peru character is but but again that radio scene just hit me like so hard in particular this time where you just 
you want to protect her. You want it. You want her right. to stay away from this stuff. You want them to escape it, and you know that they can't. Yeah, it's it's again very similar to the sequence where Sherilyn, where they find Sherilyn Fenn on the side of the road, and she's yep. essentially dying in their arms, and they're horrified not at just what they're seeing, but again, this thing that's intruding on their romantic fantasy, where it's like, oh right, death is real, death is potentially coming for us. Um, I don't want to be here for this. You know, I mean, Laura Dern says something similar to that. I don't remember the exact line that she says, right. but it's something to the effect of like, I don't want to see this. Um, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. So Lynch, I mean, I was just thinking about Wizard of Oz. Lynch adds all of the Wizard of Oz stuff. Um, yeah. Because Lynch, Lynch is obsessed with the Wizard of Oz. If there's a whole documentary a couple years ago called Lynch Oz, that was a nice little look at um, the Wizard of Oz and his work. And um, I, I was writing down lines, you know, you take me over the rainbow, the Wicked Witch, um, mm-hmm. in exactly Emerald City. You might picture Toto. Oh, there it is. Broke down along the yellow brick road. That's what he says. Yeah. Um, she clicks her heels. I mean, after she gets after she gets threatened by Bobby Peru, she's like, right. you know, and, and and again, again, like Lynch is not trying to trick you. It's, it's right. all it's all right there. Um, I love I love that Charlie comes in and plays Glinda at the end. You know, the the Good Witch. Um. And you're just literally, it's like Laura Palmer. Like, I thought the theme music was going to start playing. I was like, Laura Palmer comes in to save Sailor. It's amazing. <laughs> it was interesting at this smash cut screening because there were a lot of people there, I think, who were seeing it for the first time or were seeing a David Lynch movie for the first time. And like, it's one thing to buy into the movie's wavelength. But even if you do that, I think Cheryl Lee showing up as Glinda the Good Witch at the end is going to fuck with your head. Because the movie has been more or less realistic. I mean, it's a heightened right. reality, but there isn't a, a pure fantasy element until the very end when she appears out of a bubble in the sky. And you're like, well, what am I supposed to make of this? Right. Yeah, I understand. I understand that like hesitance, like, oh, well, tonally, it's not that. So it's it, it clashes. But I just I just don't think so. I think, again the whole movie is heightened the whole movie right is, yeah 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 oh it doesn't I mean? bother me at all but it no was no i understand what you mean, I just mean like, when, when i'm when i'm when i'm going when having conversations with people like well that's so weird like why because yeah. people always say like oh why does lynch do stuff like that why does he just throw in all that random shit and it's like no it's all part of the <laughs> it's, it's it's either building to that or it's emphasizing it's a, it's a you know it's an exclamation point on a, a statement he's making in a scene or something like that and um again i don't want to be the guy being like nobody understands him like i do but i just i just i really one of the reasons why I love him so much and why he's my, you know, cause it doesn't make any sense as we've talked about before. It doesn't make any sense for a guy like me to love David Lynch. Cause I just, I, I am a story and plot guy. I love story. I love plot. I love scripts. I love, you know, setups and payoffs. And like, I just, I love character and logical and plot consistency throughout. Oh, you should see hypnotic. I really want to. I hear it's really good. <laughs> it really delivers in all of those areas. Um, but I think that there's something, I think the reason why Lynch, you know, has always been my favorite or, and only has increased in my estimation, the more I watch his movies is because like, there is something beautiful about letting a lot of that go. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say his movies don't make sense, but it, it's just, he's painting, literally painting with a different brush than most people do. You know, the screenplays to him are important, but so much of it is about the imagery. And I think to me, because I also read criticisms that say like, well, David Lynch isn't really cinematic. Like he's not, he doesn't, his, his, his movies look like shit. And like, you know, that he, he, he shoots on like consumer grade digital video and he doesn't care about cinematography and blah, blah, blah. And like, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying Inland Empire doesn't look like shit. I'm not saying that it totally <laughs> looks like shit, 
But what I think is that like Lynch to me is always like, no, the, the, it's on the screen. Like it's on the screen. It's the mise-en-scene, you know, it's, it's the, it's where the characters are and what they're wearing and what the music is doing. Like I love, you know, and that Angelo Badalamente, you know, he's just got that low jazz going in the background of everything, you know, contemplative little jazz music. And again, Twin Peaks, um, Right, but I just I just adore the way the way he communicates, and it's so different than, I mean, he's not the only like surrealist filmmaker, obviously, but it's it's he does it in a way that's just this beautiful mix of of all the things that we love about movies and all the things that we love about like painting and other types of art, and obviously, you know, we know he went to school as a painter, and that's why he sees his palette, um, his his camera as that kind of palette. But um, again, I think that I think that Wild Wild at Heart is very very simple it's very straightforward and and everything is just emphasizing that emotion that you're in when you're young and you're in love and you just want to run away with that person you want everybody else to leave you alone and that's to me just the beauty of the movie well you know i have so many things to that i want to say about david lynch in general and like i get people not liking him but i don't get not wanting him to exist like aren't you glad somebody's doing that? Even if it's not for you, like uh, whatever. Um, Part of his genius to me is kind of something you just touched upon, which is that he takes these, whatever you want to call them, these sort of flourishes or these eccentricities, but he layers them on top of, they're not just experimental films. They're not just crazy art films. He layers them on top of very sort of codified American genre films Um, so this is the love story, the road picture, right. lost highway is the film noir, you know, um, blue velvet is sort of the suburban mystery, whatever you want to call it. Um, elephant and that's man what is the elephant man. elephant man is the elephant man. Dune is the Dune. Um, this, uh, one of the reasons inland empire doesn't totally work for me is because it distances itself so far from a recognizable kind of genre movie. Mm-hmm. I like that he works in these genres. And like the first time I saw Lost Highway, the first time I saw Mulholland Drive, I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I didn't really get them. Like, no. but I didn't care. I was like, that's still one of the best movies I've ever seen, mm-hmm. even though I couldn't tell you exactly what happened in that movie. And now that I sort of know what they're both about, it's kind of embarrassing to say like, oh, that didn't make sense to me on the first viewing because it does seem pretty straightforward once you, you know, quote unquote, unlock it. But unlocking it is not the point. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like that's the beauty of it is is like, is like Lynch is get, that's why people like, I think people get defensive and they start telling on themselves when they're like, like, oh, he's just being incoherent blah 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 and it's like no i understand you didn't get it because you were thinking with that sort of operant part of your brain where it's like right i must because that's I, I also i also don't watch movies that way where i i watch movies with people and they're like like oh so like is this gonna happen is, is this gonna happen next like well what if well, like well i well the ending is well i guess the ending is like i don't i don't i, I mean, no offense i don't watch movies like that i don't watch no. movies where i'm trying to outsmart it and guess what's going to happen i watch movies to go on the journey that they're taking me on right I, like i might have expectations and say like oh in a movie like this this is typically what would happen or i could monday morning quarterback it and go like all right well i i you know here's what i think should have happened if this is what they were trying to do but i'm when i'm watching the movie you're just going with it like you're just, right. you're just going with it and you know people like oh I, oh yeah i got Mahal and drive the first time no you didn't like no, <laughs> no, that's not the point you know what i mean well in 95 percent of movies that you see when you sit down to watch them you ultimately know where they're going to end up and that's true 
even of Lynch films, I mean, Wild at Heart, like you kind of anticipate it's going to end with the two of them, like kissing on top of a car. Like it's a love story. They're going to end up together. It's just that the journey that it takes to get there is not at all the traditional journey, even when it is. I mean, it's going through some familiar archetypal beats, but it's also taking these little off ramps and introducing these weird eccentric characters. And, you know, the Glinda, the good witch shows up and um, this is definitely in my top five cage movies and cage performances. And it's interesting that like, it comes at a period where he's really trying to kind of figure out who he is on screen um, because his two movies before this were like vampires kiss and moonstruck. Mm-hmm. And so he's got weird experimental alienating performance in vampires kiss versus very commercial romantic comedy, even though he's giving a really eccentric performance inside of moonstruck, he's not right. dumbing it down. Um, and, and when when Wild at Heart comes out in 90, it's part of like, I want to say it's part of a run of like Firebirds where he's testing out his ability to like be a leading man in an action movie to disastrous effect. I'm sorry, Michael Scott. And uh, that doesn't happen for another, you know, six years or whatever with The Rock. Um, he's doing like Zondali, which is this weird softcore movie that he makes with judge Reinhold and the girl from nightmare on Elm street five. Uh, and then he does wild at heart almost to like prove that he's also a serious actor who's interested in working with real artists, which is an unfair statement because I think by making firebirds, he's still trying to say I'm a serious actor. You know, he just is saying I'm, I could be a serious actor inside of a commercial movie. And by making Zondali, I think he's still saying, I'm a serious actor. I just want to work in these weird fringe genres and see if I could do something interesting in them. And Wild at Heart is such a great marriage of like his sensibilities and a film sensibilities. Uh, And he has such awesome chemistry with Laura Dern. Like the two of them together are fucking hot. Hot. Hot, hot, hot. I was thinking yeah. about obviously Laura Dern has worked with Lynch, you know, as she as she said her whole life, like she's just she old she always will work with David Lynch. She wants to, you know, she'll be with him forever, and that's wonderful. And obviously, at this point, he's working with Kyle MacLachlan a lot, and I I kept thinking about like the beautiful just synchronicity of the world that like I could see him reaching for Kyle for this movie, mm-hmm. and who I desperately love Kyle MacLachlan with all my heart, but he's not Sailor Ripley. <laughs> and it's just such wonderful. No, the charm of Kyle MacLachlan is that he's so square. That's what exactly. works about him in Dune and in Blue Velvet and, you know, yes. his squareness. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it's just such a beautiful, like, you know, the idea that he met Nicolas Cage, like he said, like he met him through friends and like, just, he said like that kid, like I, that he's, he's sailor, you know, like he's gotta be, he's gotta be in this. And obviously Laura Dern, you know, on a totally, you know, she hits, she's in a different gear in this movie than she was just in, in, in blue velvet and just demonstrating all that rage uh, range, excuse me, and rage. Um, <laughs> but um, I do find this, I, I'm thinking about like vampires kiss. And cause I, I, I've heard people talk about this Nicolas Cage performance and saying like, Oh, well that's like, um, 
uh, Scent of a Woman, where it's like that's when Pacino like went over the top and never came back. And it's like, well, with Nick Cage, it's like, oh, Vampire's Kiss, Wild at Heart. Like he just starts becoming this like parody and he doesn't start getting like and then you get lost in the woods with those opinions. I have read hurt. I've read stuff like that and I've heard stuff like that. And like I'm curious about, you know, because you're such a Cage fan and like, you know, Nicolas Cage is an actor who I think like knows who he is, knows what he should be used for. Right. Knows. And he like has done performances where he's phoning it in and doesn't care. And clearly the director doesn't know how to use him and, and all those things. We've talked about his, you know, DTV work and all that. And there's all kinds of reasons and background why that stuff happens. Even sometimes he's like miscast and big blockbusters or he's taking a shot at something. But to me, like a movie like Wild at Heart is just like, like this is why acting and movies were invented yeah so that so that nicholas cage could be in wild at heart you know what i mean like well his approach to acting is always so expressionistic and so yes. to see him inside of a movie that takes that same expressionistic approach it's an artist painting with the best paint he's ever had you know yeah um and he's just incredible in this movie and and i just i completely disagree with this idea that he, you know, goes off the rails here and never comes back. Uh, a, because I don't think he comes off the rails and B, uh, you know, two years later, he's making honeymoon in Vegas and he's not, I mean, he has one great freak out in that movie, but like right. for the most part, it's a straightforward romantic comedy leading man performance where he's like, can I do this? And that's what I love about every Nicolas Cage performance is where he, you, you could just hear him asking himself, can I do this? Can I make this work? Right. And I would say in all, but maybe like it's fewer than five movies. I think he's always asking himself that question and sort of trying that. Um, where but, does, man, Oh yeah, go ahead. Where does this rank in cage for you? Uh, I mean, I mean not having a list in front of you. I just yeah, off the top of your head. It's top three, probably. Okay. Um, I would have to have a list. At one yeah, point, I had like my, my 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 letterbox top four. What's were your my what's your Cage favorite movies? What's your favorite Nicolas Cage performance? It might be this. Okay. Um, I mean, I love him in Mandy. Right. I love him in. Shit. Uh, I, I man, love him I, in shit too. That's the problem. Is sometimes he'll make shit, and I love. Him I anyway. literally love him in almost everything. I mean, yeah. I love the Weatherman. I love Matchstick Man. I love his performance in Face Off. Yeah. Um, you know what I don't love is his performance in Con Air. Oh. And people love Con Air, and people yeah. love Cameron Poe. And as someone who loves action movies and who loves Nicolas Cage, I've always felt he's a little miscast as Cameron Poe. Mm. Interesting, interesting. Deal with that comment section. Yeah. Come at me, bro. Um yeah. he's playing him a little like dumb. And I just uh, Nicolas Cage doesn't do dumb well. And then I'm thinking of like raising Arizona and I'm like, "Wait, no, he totally he does, does it well." So <laughs> he does everything well. He's Nicolas Cage. I was going to say cuz cuz for me raising Arizona is like number 1 for me. Like, yeah. Again, not not being as much of a Cage guy as you are. Like to me it's just like when I think what's Nicolas Cage great in, it's like, "Oh, raising Arizona. You got to watch raising." Arizona. <laughs> yeah. But um yeah, no, I I think he's spectacular in this. And again, I think it's just we as we said, it's that perfect melding of just like you're just you just you just thank the universe you thank david lynch like that that this existed for for this to happen um 
this is this is one of those like like this should be in in the next Nicole Kidman you know thing like real like you know we make movies oh, yeah. and all that like yeah you got to put you got to put this performance in there it's like this is why we go to the movies this is this is why you know what I honestly would do it of all cage performances just just, just the whole thing of just you know, our heroes are bigger and our because you know, I want to walk out every good. time I see that little promo because the first clip they show is from fucking Jurassic, Jurassic World, World. <laughs> not even Jurassic Park like what are we talking about. It sucks. We we we. I I I I do enjoy that 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 uh, bumper, but I it, you know once I, I don't know. We'll see. I, they're they're play, apparently they're sequelizing it, and we'll we'll see. Oh really? Yeah. Which well. you know, if it gets people to go to the movies, then I'm supposed to say, then that's good, right? That's what I'm supposed <laughs> to say. I have not, like you, read the book Wild yes. at Heart. Um, I do know that he changes the ending. Okay. Yeah, I know that the ending of the book is more down more of a downbeat i don't know exactly the context of the end of the book i don't want to know because i want to read it um but i know that that um the producer samuel goldwyn jr actually the producer uh asked lynch to change it um lynch was worried i'm pulling this from uh lynch on lynch and um he said that he was afraid to change it because he thought that a happy ending would be more commercial um, and he didn't want to be commercial or he didn't want people to say he was trying to be more commercial. So he was hesitant to change the ending, but he says basically like, no, the story I was writing is this wizard of Oz thing and it's got to have a happy ending and that's how it's got to be. And apparently, um, the, the author of the novel loved it. He said, he said, you know, like this is his, I've got mine. This is his version. I yeah. think it's great. You know, was all for it. So. Yeah, um, I, I I think about like the original ending, the Tarantino ending of True Romance, and I'm like, that's all wrong for the movie right. that they made. The original, you know, Kevin Smith ending of Clerks, Clerks like yeah. that's all wrong for the nope. movie that they made, you know. Yeah. And he said, um, I know with Clerks, he said specifically he was just trying to do good the right to do, do the right thing. Do the right it's thing, like, right? Don't know. That's the, Clerks does not do the right thing. <laughs> I like that he waited until Clerks three, and he was like, now's my time. Yeah. To kill a clerk. <laughs> um, the uh, real quick, the Mahoning yeah. drive-in. Uh, my my uh, showing my clerks three. Showing showing clerks, clerks two, and not clerks three. Something else this weekend. <laughs> it's like Kevin Smith fest, and they're. I think. Hold on, I got to find it now. Jersey they're, girl. They're, they're pointedly not doing clerks three. Um, what a weird choice. Uh, anyway, well, I'll find it and I'll bring it up later. But yeah, no, okay. I'm totally yeah, with you on. So I'm guessing you also have not read 59 Degrees and Raining. I have not. Is that a thing? The spinoff, the Barry Gifford spinoff oh, no, of I Wild haven't. at Heart featuring the character Perdita Durango, uh, played by Isabella Rossellini, Isabella Rossellini in Wild at Heart, who then 59 Degrees and Raining gets adapted by Alex de la Iglesia in 1997 in the movie Perdita Durango. Um a.k.a. Dance with the Devil. Okay. Uh, Rosie Perez plays the title character. Javier Bardem is in it. Uh, Gandolfini is in it. Have you ever seen Perdita Durango? No. This is, so this is a Michael Keaton in what's it called situation where it's the same character played right, by, right. by different. Yeah. Right. Clerks. It's Clerks Mall Rats and Clerks 2, by the way. <laughs> That's wacky, but okay. Continue. Continue. Um, you should totally see Perdita Durango. It's okay. It's a lot... I won't say it's weirder than Wild at Heart because it's how it's hard to outweird David Lynch, but like in terms of what it's about, and they found a director who's kind of as wild as David Lynch in Alex de la Iglesia, 
It used to be on Shutter. I don't know if you still you only do Shutter in like no, October, I do right? Shutter in October. Yeah. Okay. Um, Severin put out a Blu-ray of it that's worth okay. picking up, but I'm seeing if it's streaming right now. Just as a Wild yeah, no, at Heart completist, I'll look for it. yeah, definitely. I had no idea. Uh, it's rentable. It's on Tubi. It's on Freebie under okay. the title "Dance with the Devil." So don't search Dance up Perdita Durango. Okay. Search up "Dance with the Devil." It. Yeah. It's you said it's Rosie Perez. It's not Rosalini playing correct the character in that. Okay, correct. It's Rosie Which, I mean, Perez playing no, the same character. Perez. Yeah, right. She's great in it, and uh, Javier Bardem has weird like Courtney Cox in Scream Three hair. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's uh, a wild um, movie. It has to do with like uh, fetuses, and it's uh, like a truckload of fetuses. It's cool. it's like, it's a weird fetuses. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Isabel Rossellini, by the way, of course, at, you know, dating David Lynch at this time. Yeah. Um, it's so funny to me, like just what a heartbreaker he was because Isabel Rossellini talks about David Lynch and she's still very willing to talk about him. Like, again, like room to dream she's quoted in and like, she, you know, which was relatively recently. And I mean, she is just so upfront about the fact that he just shattered her heart in pieces, like that. She was just like completely in love with him. And he basically says like, she was too famous. It was a full-time job to date her and I couldn't do it anymore. And, and apparently it's about Rossellini was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> but still Lynch, talks about him. you heartbreaker yeah, still, still talks about him with so much love and and you know just it's just so it's so int- the effect he has i don't know it's just something something about david he's just a heartbreaker what are your top three lynches top three lynches yeah. uh it, drive is still number one for me yeah um i i it's probably top three is probably maholland drive blue velvet um and then it might be this but the third spot is probably always it's like the with the exception of elephant man which is a good movie but a a david lynch movie in that you know like it's david lynch kind of trying to figure himself out um and like straight story the same thing where it's like straight story is a wonderful movie it really is it's such a wonderful movie but it's like is it you know like right. it was it was Lynch like Nicolas Cage Lynch trying to see if he could do something yeah I'm, I'm gonna make a straightforward Disney movie about a guy on a tractor mm-hmm. um it's it's wonderful but you know um so I w- I would probably put this one third only because and the only reason it's not Lost Highway or Eraserhead um Eraserhead is a movie I love to watch in pieces I don't love to sit and watch Eraserhead all the way through me um Lost Highway to me is wonderful. But it is, it's a, it's just, it's a little, it's a little abrasive for my taste. Just like, it's just like a little bit, you know what I mean? Just in terms of the way it makes me feel. I'm not always, I I will definitely sit down and watch Lost Highway if if it's like we're watching Lost Highway, but it's, it's a movie that I'm rarely in the mood to watch. Interesting. I don't necessarily necessarily know why. I just, I, the, the, the thing that comes to my brain right now is like, I just like a lot of the stuff with the performances and like, cause it's all that, it's that OJ Simpson stuff where he Mm -hmm. was like talking Mm -hmm. about the duality of man and, 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 you know, and like this one, obviously Lynch said was very, um, well, maybe not obviously if you don't know, but he was saying it was very much inspired by the LA riots. Like what he was going through, the 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 idea of escaping from the horror and the anger of the world was very much influenced by what was going on in LA at the time. Um, and Lost Highway being very much influenced by this idea that like if OJ Simpson really thinks he did not kill his wife, like what would that look like as a right. narrative? You know? Right. Um, and so it's a great, I mean, it's again, I would watch it right now if you wanted to watch it. If you want to put it on, we'd definitely watch it, but I'm I'm rarely in the mood for it. 
Okay. Interesting. I'm also, uh, it's also the music in that one is more your lane of music than it is mine, I think. Right. Cause you love that. Aren't you, don't you love, don't you love that soundtrack? Didn't you always talk about the soundtrack? Maybe I, I do. It. I do like yeah. the soundtrack a lot. I th- think it's a little bit more your speed than it is mine. And so, but I, I, movies I, I will fully admit that a lot of the me liking a lot of the soundtrack has to do with the fact that it's used it's, in Lost Highway. Like, Lost Highway, yeah. I don't love Rammstein, but I do <laughs> love it when it pops up in the movie. You know? So, so what you're saying is Lost Highway would be better if it was just Kiss. All the way yeah, through. I don't see why they didn't <laughs> at least try it that way. Bill Pullman's having a breakdown. It's like, lick it up. <laughs> I haven't been able to listen to Kiss ever since Paul Stanley made his weird anti-trans yeah, remarks. That's right. Fuck. I haven't put them on. All right, forgot about that. Forgot about that. No, it's okay, but it's just, uh, he broke my heart pretty yes. hard. Like he's yeah. David Lynch and I'm Isabella Rossellini. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, yeah. What else quick, about Wild at Heart? Just real quick, uh, uh, I have a subheading here in my notes: Twin Peaks people. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I'm still talking about Twin Peaks. Go, go, go away. Turn it off if you don't listen. Um, Harry Dean Stanton, obviously from Twin Peaks, uh, plays Carl Rod, the the, uh, the trailer park guy. Um, you've got Frances Bay in here, the older woman uh, who plays Miss Tremond in uh, in uh, Twin Peaks. You've got Cheryl and Fenn. We talked about Cheryl Lee. We talked about Jack Nance, good old Eraserhead himself in there, uh, in a strange performance. Um, Grace Zabriskie <laughs> is in the credits um, as Juana Durango, and I think it's just her voice. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then um, Ed Wright, who is the elderly Mr. Mibbler. Uh, if you've seen Twin Peaks, you know him as the bank guy, the old man in the bank who talks to Audrey Horn um, and is also the guy who is in my favorite um, Missing Pieces. He's, he's my favorite uh, part of Missing Pieces where he goes up to Jack Nance and demands a two by four. Um, I'll let you Google that scene if you want to see it. And uh, and then David Patrick Kelly, who plays Jerry Horn, is uncredited in this movie, but I did do a little deep dive, and he's in there. He plays one of the goons that kills Harry Dean Stan. He's there in the background. Um, so uh, Twin Peaks people in Wild at Heart. You're More importantly, we, forget, we, we failed to mention Charlie Spradling, who made a lot of Full Moon movies. Yes. And, of course, in this movie is the Take a Bite of Peach Girl. Obviously, obviously, I did 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 uh, did Full Moon just put out an AI movie? Yeah, did I, did I read that correctly? Okay, <laughs> I got the press release. Here's I figured the, I'd ask the. I figured I'd ask the, the screener Moon. link. Charles Band showed a trailer for it at Flashback. Okay. It kind of looked like dog shit, so I okay. All right. will not be watching it or reviewing I don't wanna, it. You know, we don't we don't have to disparage if, 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 it's, if it's not going to be good. But um, I did see that. I kinda, I got that same press release. I was like, hmm? yeah. This? just seems anyway. like during the strike is the wrong time to be embracing AI, but what do Bad I know? Taste. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, no, just, I just, I mean, I, we could talk about this movie forever, but I just, I adore it. I think it's, it's just so, it's such a wonderful, as I said before, like just, you know, you're young and in love. And I, I honestly feel like this would be a really good entry point for Lynch. Like, I think yeah. because, because if it, you know, because the story, as you said, is very traditional genre, it's something recognizable and familiar. It's really just the emotional beats are exaggerated. Mm-hmm. And and I think that I, I, I do. I think this could be maybe like Baby's first David Lynch movie. Like it really could be um, because, you know, as he gets more esoteric and starts to play with narrative structure and all that, you know, you're at least prepared for, you know, what something like Mahal and Jar- right. Lost Highway would do later on. So I actually I, I think this would be a really good starter Lynch movie. 
Uh, last question because I forgot to ask. Do I need to invest in the Shout Factory Blu-ray of this movie because I have the Twilight Time release that doesn't have all the deleted scenes? I'd have to, I have the Shout Factory disc. Okay. Um, I would have to look. I I I definitely watched the deleted scenes when they came out. I'd have to rewatch them to judge their quality. I don't know for sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I can't I can't tell you for sure. You should definitely have this movie on Blu-ray though cuz it's not available streaming anywhere apparently. Oh my gosh, really? I tried to, I was going to watch it. I was going to watch it on the laptop and I was like, I'm glad I didn't because who yeah. wants that? Uh, David, Lynch, <laughs> David Lynch especially would hate that. Um, and uh, I couldn't find it streaming anywhere. So I was like, oh, pop it in that Blu-ray then. Nice. Uh, well, thank you for talking about this movie with me. It was super fun and only made me love it more. Is you should. It's fun. <laughs> hey, listen, you're not getting out of hypnotic. No, back. it's fine. Coming... November, we'll do hypnotic. Should we do it for Patreon or what? Like, yeah, we... oh yeah, let's do it for Patreon. Be <laughs> okay, because then we could get a real case of the fuck arounds, and we'll be fine. <laughs> be like, you're paying for this, people. <laughs> uh, we do have a Patreon. Go to fthismovie.com slash Patreon. Go to twitter.com slash fthismovie. Facebook.com slash fthismovie. YouTube.com slash fthismovie. If you want to watch reserved seating every Thursday, you get to see Rob and Adam in your eyeballs. Uh, new episodes of the podcast every Wednesday and new cool movie shit every day at fthismovie.com. Thanks, Rob. Remember, Patrick, the whole world is wild at heart and weird on top. Thanks for listening to FS Movie.